0: Are the Vikings, the 2022 Jaguars, habitual self-inflicted wounds, bonehead mistakes, uncanny turnovers, but a red-hot turnaround rally brewing underneath? Are the Bengals, the 2022 Bengals, starting 0-2 straight up, 0-2 ATS, and looking pretty pedestrian doing it, are they going to bounce back or is this time different? We're back and we're searching for Alpha in... NFL Week 3. Let's hit the open. It's 7.08 in Dime Square, New York City. Thursday, September 21st. NFL Week 3. This is Alphabets. I'm Deep Value Better with Throw the Damn Ball, Judah Fort Gang. Our plan of attack, run through some Week two scores from our drive quality model, review some upgrades and downgrades from our consensus market analyst rankings, and then run through the NFL week three slate. I'm
1: so, I'm so excited to be back. <laughs> it's been a while. We had some bumps, but all clear for the rest of the season, I hope. And, and we can get back to, to doing what we do best, analyzing the market and, and trying to, to make some money and betting on football games.
0: Yep. A little bit of friction at the beginning of the season. A lot of projects that we've been working on off season just blew by, running out of time, really wanted to prioritize some other things on top of the podcast. And we had some business travel, I got sick. So it was a little bit of a rough start, but we're back in action. I released a note, something I'll be doing weekly this year called Cry Baby. Basically whining and crying about Everything that went wrong in the previous week, and then highlighting some of the aspects that went right, of course, hopefully, and how we can improve on those mistakes that were made in the previous week, specifically from a live betting perspective. So in this week's inaugural note, I run through all the live trades that I made This Sunday, we didn't have a game trade and game trade will be a little bit different this season. And actually this episode too is a little bit of a hybrid of what we really want to be doing for the rest of the season. We're going to do shorter podcasts, probably do two a week, aiming to do one that Sunday night kind of tilt episode where we kind of do first reactions, run through what happened, run through the drive quality scoreboard on that Sunday night when it's the freshest and everyone's has looking for emotional support will be there. And then later in the week have another shorter episode specifically focused on whatever that next week's games are. So this is a unique episode since we're going to still be combining a, a little bit of those elements, but moving into the seasonal framework starting next week. So with this week, let's debut our drive quality app total beta version, really just a way for us currently right now to internally be able to organize our drive quality information, but anything that you wanted to highlight first from week two, Judah.
1: Uh, I mean, in week one, it was just like, okay, offenses are going to be bad. And then, you know, week two comes and offenses are much better. And it was a good reminder to sort of take a step back, digest information, process change, and then there are a couple of teams, of course, that are going to stand out. I think the Bengals are one of them, as you as you led with. The Rams, too, and I think it's actually a really interesting spot and in, in one to attack live, which is that, like, I had a strong offseason prior that the Rams were not going to be particularly good. And I'm much more willing to kind of come off that prior because I know and we've seen in the past that Stafford and McVeigh, or even McVeigh and, and Jared Goff, can kind of put together some offensive success. And I'm willing to kind of lean into that change but that's the name of the game at this point of the, of the season, is kind of how do you react to change and how do you kind of balance that with your offseason priors? And and that's a potential source of huge alpha uh, and the drive quality model really gets to that. Trying to cut through sort of the noise of final scores we have on screen, the the Vikings and Eagles. I mean, the Vikings have been the best uh, offensive team by our drive quality numbers. And again, it, it might not sustain itself. but. That is why we kind of build these tools to help us get a little bit closer to understanding these teams and trying to predict their their performance in the future.
0: Yeah, early in the season, you know, there's gonna be a bunch of noisy outcomes, noisy performance, noisy data. And so that can also lead to potentially noisy outputs from even systematic models. You want to remain agile in your theses on these teams. You don't want to be stubborn and continue to lose money on a team halfway through the season because your priors just turned out to be flat out wrong maybe besides the rams so far judah would you say there's a team out there where your preseason priors you're flirting with maybe i was just wrong
1: yeah i would say the ravens i was really wanting to sell them especially offensively the new system and uh, Todd Monaghan coming in and I wasn't really sure how Lamar would, would be as a, as a pocket passer. Uh, and the numbers certainly suggest this offense will be good. Um, I was ready to like jump on board of like the Ravens are going to miss the playoffs. They'll be like a seven and 10 team. I've cooled off a bit, and, and certainly our numbers support that.
0: Well, also the division complexion looks different today than prior to the beginning of the season as well. Again, like injuries are starting to pile up across, the NFL. And then there's, of course, the Bengals that we talked about Burrow still dealing with his calf injury. And I think that's a huge outstanding question right now is that first two weeks of performance from the Bengals akin to the first two weeks of last year where hey, they just didn't look good. They underperformed. They started off slow. But hey, by week eight, week nine, and certainly by like week 10, 11, 12 everyone was then you know Bengals the top three team is that still in yeah. their DNA this year
1: I think it's a very different situation and even the defensive numbers we have here have not been particularly great uh, and I think that's revealing especially because one of these games was against the Browns who, who do not have a good offense by any stretch I think there are two things that are, are different about this team uh, and again they can turn it around so I, I, I wouldn't necessarily be sell 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 but number one as the kind of as the contracts of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, as those loom, the team on defense was built around having a lot of really just quality players who so they didn't have to pay that much because they were having their two best players in, in Chase and Birdo on rookie deals. And a lot of those guys have now left. I'm thinking of like the etched away Uzeys of the world. And when and those guys start to to go down at the weak links. Pop up more, and the defense is a little bit more skeptical. And I also think defense is going to matter more this year than in past years. The other part of this is like the Bengals are as boring schematically as as could be. They they play eleven personnel. We've you know we've had hesitations about Zach Taylor for years. That's that's not new. I think you can kind of overcome that when you have Joe Burrow, ot Higgins, and Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd for that matter. They're terrific players. But I think the league is starting to kind of catch up to that a bit. And we saw the Mike McDonald of the of the Ravens kind of have a a recipe of stopping the Bengals. We saw this in in week 18 of last year and then again in the wild card. They put together a good performance against the Bills, but they've largely struggled outside of that. All of that lends itself to like, okay, maybe there's some pessimism about the Bengals. And we haven't even talked about the fact that Joe Burrow is not healthy. Uh, And like he is a guy who Uses his legs. I I did some research about what I call true scrambles, which are essentially anytime you start the process of scrambling, whether it's a pass sack or run, and like he gets a ton of production on these passes. And how many times have we seen Joe Burrow do that, like a little shoulder dip throw on the run, find his guy? And if he doesn't have that mobility, especially with the offensive line troubles, the Bengals are, are in some serious trouble. But at the end of the day, all of this can change so quickly. Yeah,
0: looking at the. Market consensus rankings across several different analyst power rankings. We're looking at PFF, ESPN, 33rd team, athletic, Warren sharp, NBC sports, CBS sports, Yahoo, USA today, NFL.com using a mishmash of different approaches to try to get a broader aggregate view of how the broader market of influencers, uh, are perceiving the strength and weaknesses of teams. We see the Bengals downgraded three spots this week. They're downgraded several spots last week, currently ranked 14th right now. PFF is a market high on the Bengals, still has them ranked as sixth. The Athletic has them ranked 22nd at a market low. But NBC Sports, CBS Sports also right there at 21. But we can see after week two, the Jets being downgraded seven spots. Vikings and Patriots down another five spots. Vikings, our Vikings down to 23. When we look at our drive quality scoreboard, something that we've been talking about, how the Vikings are 2-0. Vikings, of course, lost to the Bucks in week one, 20 to 17. Our drive quality scoreboard, again, looking at who performed best on a drive-by-drive basis, whose underlying on the field performance is demonstrable of sustainable success and we're looking at the Vikings beating the Bucks by double digits and then last week beating the Eagles from an EDP per drive perspective right there with the Dolphins as an elite offense and we're looking at the market rankings having them as almost a bottom 25 team. That's wild. I think it's going to continue to present opportunities to bet on the Vikings moving forward. Anyone else that you think is not being downgraded enough or has been downgraded too much?
1: I think the Bucks are too high also, honestly. I, I think we're kind of seeing yeah, that. If, yeah. I don't think we've learned anything material about this team. Like, they recovered a bunch of fumbles in week one, and then they Bears had a chance to win that game. It was, you know, 2017. uh was the ball in Justin Fields' hands with three minutes left. Uh, I don't see this as a particularly good team. So, like, the expectation was bad. Six and a half win total, bad. But, like, they still have Mike Evans. They still have Chris Godwin. The defense can still be fine. And then after two games, it was almost like, okay, that narrative is actually the true narrative, as opposed to just saying, like, these were kind of fluky games. They could have been determined very differently, and, like, nothing's fundamentally changed about the Bucs. Like, great. Baker Mayfield is a totally capable player when he's playing with a clean pocket. Go up against the Eagles this week. When you've got Jalen Carter, you know, dominating in the interior where, where your interior is horrible, it's a totally different story. But I don't think this is a particularly great team. The other one that does stand out is the Giants. We've seen, you know, Danny Dimes crumble. And game script matters so much in the NFL, where if you have some fluky thing, like, I don't know, a blocked field goal for a touchdown, and then a weird fluky interception that also gets returned for a touchdown, and all of a sudden you're down, like, 17 nothing or 21-0, whatever it was. And like, the game fundamentally changes. And this is kind of why we have something like... You know, drive quality and earn drive points is to cut through that noise because that's not reproducible and sustainable. The way you play offense is very, very different when you're in a neutral script or when you're trailing by such a huge margin. That is not as revealing about the fundamentals of the team and how they're going to play in the future. How reproducible is their success or their lack thereof? And, like, sure, the defense is not great, but the offense can put together some success. You don't score 30 points by accident in the NFL. I think tonight will be a really interesting test, but. How much has really changed? How much should we really be changing our opinions on the Giants as if all of this wasn't already baked in to what we knew about the team coming in from the preseason. And that's more of like a 18 to 20 team, not a 25 team. They're not that bad.
0: I think potentially they get upgraded without Saquon Barkley because they're not as focused on trying to force that element of their game. But elsewhere from the market consensus rankings, top six teams, the market seems pretty convicted. No change. Niners being number one, Cowboys number two, Eagles number three, Chiefs number four, Dolphins number five, Bills number six. And then to round out the top 10, you got the Ravens upgraded three spots to number seven, Jags, Lions, eight, nine and then the Saints sneaking in as a top 10 team upgraded 5 spots this week after an average performance versus the Panthers on Monday Night Football. You like the Saints coming into the season put in an average performance week 1 versus the Titans which I warned about in the preseason that that was like likely going to materialize. But then even even in week 2, even outside of that last stupid touchdown that the Saints allowed in that final drive, even still, they're just not clicking, at least at this moment. I know you were hotter on the Saints than yes. than many. And I know it was very division specific.
1: Yeah, I still think I am. And even our drive quality score has this as like one of the better offenses this week. I think the, the main issue I have with the Saints is that they run the ball too much for a team that has incredible weapons. Rashid shaheed he's a little bit of a gadget-type player, but it seems like he actually might be able to sustain his success. Chris Olave, I think he'll be in the same category of conversation as the, the Devontae adams Tyreek Kills of the World. The main issue is that they, they run the ball too much, and I think that was certainly the case against Tennessee. And I also think we're going to get these fluky games, like that's a product of having a Derek Carr-type of quarterback. But I think, honestly and it comes to the caveat of like I think the Saints actually played decently well and the narrative might be a little different if it's like wow this team covered by seven if they didn't allow that, that garbage time touchdown but the I think the Panthers defense is legit and I think that's like an Elijah Everett thing if you look at I talked to the Broncos for a second the Broncos had a top five defense by our EP last year and are dreadful so far this year and, and I think that's very much a function of their losing their coordinator and bringing in Vance Joseph, who's not exactly built for modern uh, NFL defenses. He kind of just, just lays back and does his thing. Uh, Elijah Everett was like rotating safeties at, at one of the highest rates in the league. Uh, but I think it says that game says more about the Panthers than it does the Saints. Uh, and the Saints, the case is going to be they have a ton of talent on offense, but, but they run the ball too much. And their game management in the fourth quarter is just dreadful. And this is, we saw this all of last season. Uh, I remember getting a, a backdoor cover on a 56-yard field goal by Matt Gay because the, the the Saints threw a pass when they should have just run the ball. That would have ended the game. We saw this in the Tampa Bay game where they ended up losing just brutal clock management. So I, I think the coaching is the biggest concern. But at the end of the day, there's a ton of talent on this offense, and I'm still pretty high on them. I think, I think we'll see them continue to succeed, even if it's been a little bit of a rocky start.
0: Yeah, one of the last teams touch on before moving into week three is Washington. So NFC East, a division that we did not get a chance to do our preseason preview on, but a team that Judah and I both have deep out of the money futures on Washington winning the division. I think you have Washington win the Super Bowl.
1: Oh, yeah. One of them, right. Oh, yeah.
0: And the market upgrading them, but still lukewarm on them. I think the market doesn't trust washington quite yet still has them as a consensus ranked 20th market high is cbs at eighth they're the only platform out there to rank washington as a top 10 team and then you have espn 33rd team warren sharp ranking this team as a bottom 23 24 team so you're talking about a team that's Going to have a top six NFL draft pick potentially next year. They're 2 and 0, and Sam Howell has done nothing, I feel like, but impress. I mean, yeah, he holds on to the ball too long. The offensive line isn't great. He takes a lot of sacks, exacerbates that weakness, but there's weapons to go around. The enemy effect is certainly paying dividends, and he's basically a rookie. This is like his third or fourth game. Uh, I, I'm-, I'm very bullish on Washington moving forward.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I the defense has been a, a plus unit for a while now, and their defensive line is just ferocious, uh, especially now that Chase Young is back. And, and Montez Sweat is also seemingly really, really emerging. But I think the case with Howell is twofold. Number one, it's as you said, it's all relative to the rest of the quarterbacks of the league. And I think Sam Howell four years ago wouldn't be as valuable as he is now. But the baseline play of quarterback is really, really low right now. So relative to the rest of the quarterbacks, he's, he's very good. That's one point. And the second is... Yes, Sam Howell takes way too many sacks, and that's a huge issue. But that is the trade-off of standing in the pocket for a while and also being able to deliver 30-yard strikes to Terry McLaurin in a in a closing pocket because he's not afraid uh, to kind of take that hit uh, or hold the ball on for an extra second. I think you have to view those two as a trade-off between each other. Which is like, yes, they're going to be sacks, but they're also going to be huge explosive plays and throws that other quarterbacks won't make or can't make. And there's going to be some variance because, you know, some games you're going to have six sacks. And then another game, those six sacks will turn into three sacks and they'll be instead be three 20 yard completions. So there's a ton of variance. At, but the key, and this is what I was saying the entire offseason, which is like, there is a right tail, though. There's a really fat right tail because Sam Howell can make throws that only the best third quarterbacks can make. I know Joe has been beating the Sam Howell horse for, for a while. And it's kind of picking up these pieces pretty much every five minutes now. Every five minutes. Every five minutes. (laughs) It's like he has his flaws, certainly, but he also has huge upside because he has a trait that most other quarterbacks don't have. And that's a very, very valuable one. And that's the ability to kind of work in congested pockets uh, and throw the ball very deep and accurately downfield. That's a rare trait. If you can get all of the rest a little bit better, it kind of elevates that one singular trait that he has that provides huge upside for Washington and you put that in the context of the NFL, you put it in the context of the NFC and it becomes a little more appealing.
0: And you talk about variance variance means opportunity to make money, to make outsized profits, especially when you have that risk reward profile for a specific team. And that really came out really in spades in week one and week two, even more so in week two, but I know in week one, I know you were betting live Washington at a discount to come back versus Arizona. And then last week, one of the things I was writing about in my crybaby note was how I got Washington plus a thousand plus 400 plus 10 and a half plus seven, all on this kind of downswing in that first half, but because they have that DNA to be able to dig themselves out of those holes and it played even better because obviously the opponent they are playing had the exact same kind of inverse profile of uh, very susceptible to giving up big leads and yep. not being able to sustain long consistent scoring drives so that setup was just beautiful but I think there's going to continue to be those types of opportunities with the team specifically like Washington
1: yeah no that's a great point and then the last thing I'll say on that is just that's why this trade is so valuable is because if you can deliver throws especially downfield when the defense knows it's coming and you can have success right? that's extremely valuable because in that situation you can be game script agnostic where if a a different quarterback who can't throw as well is down 21 nothing you're toast the game's over because you don't have that quarterback with the ability to succeed even when the defense knows that you're passing
0: one of the things that darnell had mentioned mentioned in the chat looking for bill's first drive score to get some good commie numbers this weekend and that can kind of bridge us into week three thinking about bill's washington's opening at home plus six and a half Uh, a little bit juice plus 215 on the money line. And this kind of brings us to a team that we haven't really talked much about is the bills, the bill's still being ranked from a market perspective as a top six team, not look good week one bounced back in week two, but what I'm hearing is like, Oh, it was just so obvious that the bills were going to bounce back in week two. No one was nervous. No one was nervous about Josh Allen and the bills. There was pressure on that line on the Raiders all week. And then, live, one of the things I talked about in the crybaby note as well is I got the Bills minus one and a half about six minutes into that game after the Raiders went down the field, scored a touchdown. The next Bills drive, they go three and out or something like that and punt. And now, all of a sudden, the game is at pickup. So, that must have been free money then. Like, just pile into that one then, because the Bills are obviously going to come back and and torch the Raiders. But no, even in-game, into Week 2, there was still doubts and questions around, oh, how good is this Bills team? Maybe they're not going to be good. Maybe this is like a carryover from Week 1. And we did have questions about this offense, and they had shown, like, hitting some speed bumps at the end of last year. And even when I go back and look at their drives from last week versus the Raiders. You know, one of the things we have on the drive quality scoreboard is we count the amount of third downs that they get on a particular drive to help give us a sense of how fluid, sustainable, and reproducible that drive was. That's how we help grade some of the points that they earn on a drive by drive basis. In fact, one of the things I don't have on here is fourth downs. And the bills were constantly running into third downs, fourth downs, third downs, fourth downs, in order to convert some of those points into scores. And that's why our drive quality scoreboard, you see the bills 27 to the Raiders 13. The game is closer from an EDP perspective than the actual final score, not necessarily saying that the Raiders really outperformed, but that the bills underperformed a little bit there because several drives where it came down to fourth down inside the red zone, they go for it and they get it. And then they convert it into a touchdown. Just two of those go sideways. This game could potentially be a lot different. And for that reason, I think there's still cracks in the bills and for that reason, like Darnell, I will again be looking for an opportunity to get the commies, especially plus double digits in this game.
1: Uh, I mean, I obviously love that spot, but I'm skeptical of, of the Bills. I think there are some legitimate question marks from the second half of last season. I don't even care about the week one Jets game. That was a weird fluke or whatever. But there's legitimate question marks about Josh Allen and the turnover prone nature. He's going to make too many mistakes. This has always been the case with him. We've got five years of data with this, and they really lack secondary weapons. I mean, Dalton Kincaid could turn into a great player, but rookie tight ends historically are just not that successful, and he hasn't exactly emerged as this different weapon where where he'll have a historic rookie season that's not happening. They lack secondary weapons, which I think will really come to kind of hurt them against defenses that can uh, actually match up against them, and they will take care of... Uh, teams like the Raiders and Josh Allen, so explosive that they can put up these huge performances. But I think they're going to be very matchup specific this year. They're going to struggle against defenses who can cover Stephon Diggs. And on, on defense that can't generate quick pressure, this has been an issue since Von Miller went down. There are massive, massive question marks. I don't think they're the wagon that they were. You know, if you ask me week two last year, week six last year, I've been like, those are the best team in the league. And I think we're very, very far from that. And it's actually a lot closer to kind of that like six to 10 range, but also not the dominant six where they can lose to a 23 team. they can lose to a Washington. I think that's the only yeah, they're not
0: a, an auto bet when they're down by exactly. 10 they're points.
1: Not a, they're not an auto bet there are some serious question marks about this team as there are for basically every team in the NFL. I mean the, the chiefs are almost the, the only exception. I would need a large sample of them failing to, to kind of back off. You're always you're always skeptical of the Chiefs. you think it's the nice take to be skeptical of the Chiefs and then although you know, I liked the Chiefs this week and
0: you were skeptical of the Chiefs. 22. I was skeptical. I was, well, I was
1: more, more optimistic about the Jags. Uh, well, but
0: you but, were, you actually were right. I mean, th- I mean, that, that was obviously a very bad performance by the Chiefs. And that was an ugly, ugly game. A game that people thought were going to be the h- highest scoring game of the week was the lowest scoring game of the week. And I think that's good, another good transition thinking about what teams are auto bets, especially live. The Chiefs have always been that team. And one of the things I lamented in my crybaby note this week was I was piling so far into the live total collapsing, expecting, you know, there to be a bounce back in the game that I had so much exposure on that element of the game that I did not allocate nearly as much as I otherwise would have on the Chiefs at basically even money, which is where they bottomed out at. I got like one unit on the Chiefs in that game. And then I had about eight scattered across different totals bets, all of which lost. And so, so that was my biggest loser game. And in fact, it really was like the only game that I lost money on. I got this, this weekend actually was, there really wasn't too much to cry about, but I will always find an opportunity yeah. to cry about something.
1: That's <laughs> certainly true. I feel like I just have like a visual like, kind of implanted in my memory of you just like, or just you now. Making some Especially some phase the totals. Mean, like
0: when, when, when the totals Like Like it never Goes the right way And you get into a trade A little bit early And you keep buying it As it keeps going Against you And it just Never bounces It just feels Like you're drowning The whole For three hours Even though I was Making money on Other things My single Biggest bet On any one Single theme Was that theme And it just never turned and so it always left me feeling icky by the end of the day even though yeah. by the end of the day i was up 20 plus units yeah <laughs> yes yeah. but so the chiefs are the chiefs still in in auto bets i mean you're looking at a team that played the jack the uh, one of the things i keep hearing about is man the jags defense played well the jags defense might be a little bit tough the jags defense sucks the lions defense sucks and the chiefs could not move the ball on either of those defenses now it was in Jacksonville It was like 125 degrees on the field so maybe there's that asterisk that played into both those teams playing bad but we've seen now back to back even when the Chiefs had their lulls in the past has not been this bad from an offensive perspective I mean it looks like they're playing with their feet in concrete
1: I think they're just readjusting to kind of like not relying on Kelsey and kind of mixing in and, and learning who the receivers they want to rely upon are. They just have such a long track record of dominance that I need to see a lot more. By week eight or week six, if we're like this, like maybe I'll come what off if that. The, what if the Chiefs if score
0: less than 20 versus the Bears this week?
1: That that would be a huge red flag.
0: <laughs> okay, so it could happen this That'd week. That'd be
1: a huge red flag. Yeah.
0: But there's I already yellow flags. You have to admit yeah, there's at, yellow. Time out! Time out! So. Time out! Time
1: out! Time at, Time, at, time at. It's all about no. I'm not. I'm not there yet. If the Chiefs score 20, here's how I envision this going: the market goes oh, like we got to change everything we know about the Chiefs, and like that to me is going to be a hammer spot. In week four. Because I always want to be slower to downgrade the Chiefs in the market. That's all my point is.
0: That's fair. No, like, no that's that's
1: yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not gonna like. It would, it would be a red flag, but I'm not going to come off my take of, like, whatever the market says about the Chiefs, I always want to be more bullish on them. And that doesn't mean buying in every case. it doesn't mean I'm betting the spread every week. But in cases like a live spot, which plays to their success, or if they're going to really downgrade the team, that's when I buy. That's the whole take.
0: So what about this very nasty, ugly spot this week? First, the Bears, 13 and a half. Yeah,
1: I'm not, I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. There are a lot of, it's a very weak slate for me is uh, pregame stuff. I mean, I think live, live will be an interesting look. I'll tease a little, you know, I, I'm not betting. I'm not betting KC Chicago. Chicago seems like a disaster. The the Chiefs have a, a tough time covering big spreads that I'm not, I'm not dying to bet a, a Chiefs minus 12 and a half. You know, maybe we can yeah. get a little bit of like scripted Chicago touchdowns. And if we get it at, you know,
0: I mean, the sentiment is so half, bad on, on Chicago right now.
1: Yeah, it's dreadful. I mean, it's it's the, the organization's a bit of a, a bit of a train wreck. But I'm not I'm not betting anything there.
0: There may be a couple well. And one of the things, things actually I wanted to bring out was what you talked about last year for the Bears is when the the catalyst for the Bears' offense to actually start to raise people's eyebrows was after that Patriots game. That's when Field started running, and we haven't seen that the first two weeks. Again, he hasn't been running. And, you know, now he's shooting had his had mouth no off, which is, leans to an implication that maybe he's going to start running more.
1: Certainly what he's saying would suggest that he is not scrambling and he wants to start scrambling. I think that's kind of the read between the lines of all this coach speak, whatever narrative this stuff is all about. But they, I think they've had three design rushes in the past two weeks. They were at like six to ten by that second half last year when they were having success that I would not be shocked if they start designing some Fields runs if this offense turns it around. And I think the reason I was on the, the Bears last week was because, like, their offense has been good. Actually, maybe not good. They've been, like, average. Yes. That, like, 14 to 18 range when they have Fields actually running and utilizing his legs. That I, And I think that's going to be pretty sticky. But it comes with the as, baked-in assumption of, like, oh, they're going to play a certain style of football. And I don't want to necessarily back that until we actually see it a great live spot though.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, it's not that the bears offense is good, but I think it's not as bad as warranted by broader market perception. And this is what the drive quality scoreboard and drive quality models intended to do is what we want to say is, Oh, well, you know, the bears didn't lose to the bucks as bad as the final score suggested. Well, we're quantifying that right here. So like basically the bears lost by a field goal first, the bucks, when we look at it from an earned drive points perspective and which that I feel like lines up even with the eye test because they were down three with the ball. After having already went down the field, the previous drive, previous drive, 90 yards with three explosive plays. 58 air yards, 34 rush yards, a nice mix, and had a touchdown. 5.6 EDP drive. Mwah. Beautiful. Then they stop the Bucks, Get the ball back. They're down by three. That's a pretty decent setup. Now, of course, Fields is an idiot and, you know, throws a pick inside their own 10. That's returned for a touchdown and extends it to a 10-point. Like, come on. Like, the game was closer than, than the 10-point, so... Our drive quality se- says it. So, nonetheless, it's still very difficult to to bet on to bet on the Bears. I didn't want to bet on the Bears this week. Very, very difficult. And I didn't. For my <laughs> own I, I did not bet on any Bears. Justin Fields' rush yards, 49 and a half. Deep all, 79 and a half. Go for 80 yards. I think he tries to force the issue in this game. Doesn't mean that the Bears don't get their, you know, brains blown out. But... I think Justin Fields potentially gets his rush yards. Any other games that you want yeah, to talk about? Next? I don't hate we, that. we talked
1: about, we talked about the commies and the bills. I think we can see an interesting game script where the Lions' run defense has actually been terrific so far this season. So have been absolutely dreadful at stopping for runs. I can very much see a kind of like Desmond Ritter, like 40 yard rushing, 40 rushing yards built in with a lion's, like minus nine and a half type thing if you can get that like 10 to 1 12 to 1 i can see the lions kind of playing from a lead we haven't seen the falcons playing from i mean they, they were they were behind i guess in the in the second half against green bay but in a past heavy game script with defenses caught in the lanes and i think they lean on Ritter's legs in that situation i think the browns tight ends might be one of the ugliest games I can think of, but the Browns defense, especially if, if they end up with Zardarius Smith healthy and, and perhaps Greg Newsome as well, that would also be helpful. But I think Ryan Tannehill is a particularly sensitive quarterback to the situation that he finds himself in. And there's a huge, huge mismatch on the defensive line of the Browns versus the Titans offensive line. I could see that as like building some like same-game parlays of like unders, sacks, that sort of thing.
0: I really like that's the Desmond Ritter angle in the Falcons one.
1: Yeah, that's, that's one. So I'm he ran
0: the most last week than he did collectively through the last three games. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a 14 and a half right now. So yeah, boosting that out, if he gets potentially like that 30, 40 yards, I think that's definitely a track.
1: Yeah. Angle. It's also, I don't think like he can run. That's, that's certainly, certainly in college. That was the thing. We also, the market has no way to price a game in which the Falcons haven't been able to run the ball efficiently. And if like we see more dropbacks from Ritter, that's going to mean more rushes. They also gave a couple design runs last week, which I think we'll start to see getting getting more involved in the offense. It's a weak spot for pregame betting. I love the Eagles. That's my yeah. favorite play. We will be ha- we will be playing that in circa one hundred percent. The Eagles might be a fringe, you know, tier one, tier two. They have some question marks, but they are way better than the Bucks. And I want to kind of be fading the little bit of the selling of the Eagles and yeah. certainly the buying yeah. of the Bucks, as we talked about. But the rest all set up for live spots for me I, there's not really much i love and i'm not going to force the issue here uh, i think i think the broncos and and dolphins is going to be a really compelling game i was very 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 bearish on the broncos again i'm willing to be to, to bail on my priors a little bit more when we're talking about a sean payton maybe he has something and they show up extremely high in our adp numbers and that could very well be a function of some random you know two game sample and they played the raiders and this and they haven't had so many drives but i think there are better spots to kind of fade certain teams and i want to get a little more information i'd rather bet that live than before the game, and i think that's kind of true of, of most of these spots uh, i'm like i hold my nose and, and bet the, the cardinals like I I would there's value on the uh, 12 and a half the Cardinals are like we haven't gotten off the like oh this team is really really bad but I think they've played competitive games they don't have that tank variable that everyone just assumes they have the Cardinals are not tanking Tyler Murray has every incentive to come back they're certainly playing hard the team that the market has is 32nd is almost never as bad as the market says I think the Cowboys are going to be boosted because They've absolutely dominated the Jets and the Giants. You know, they beat the Colts 54-13 last year. We've seen this happen before. How much do we really know about the Cowboys? Is it that much different? Are they really the second best team in the NFL now? I don't think so.
0: There's but no I, evidence to suggest that they are.
1: No, there's no real evidence. No. If anything, our drive quality stuff says that they're uh, a little bit fraudulent. Yeah, uh, mediocre. I'm not gonna Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fully buy in and be like through two weeks, uh, you know, the drive quality is the truth. But it does point to a little bit of a sell signal, at least relative to market expectation, that I might hold my nose because 12 and a half is a huge spread. And it's kind of baking in the fact that like, the Cowboys are the best team and the, the Cardinals are the worst. And I think that gap might not be so huge.
0: I think also what you're referencing around the Broncos, you know, scoring well from an offensive EDP perspective, again, it's only through two games. It's actually only through a handful of drives. They have some of the fewest drives in all of the NFL. There's only six drives in week one versus the Raiders. And so they're basically the third best offense from an EDP perspective. You have to take that with an asterisk. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But what I think that is sufficient evidence of is this is no longer the offense that is going to struggle to eclipse more than 15 points in a game. I think they're going to be able to score points, but I think the offense is still going to be vulnerable to going through like long droughts of not scoring. But I think the distinction between this year and last year is basically when you saw an inkling of like, uh-oh, this Denver offense can't move the ball, like it's hands off, then this year there might be opportunity to
1: buy that
0: dip for Denver kind of game.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. That's actually a, a better way of framing how I feel about the team. And I love how you're kind of using that as a live betting game plan.
0: I think one of the last games I, I want to hear your thoughts on too is texans Jacks. So I know Texans are dealing with like injuries as, as most teams are again. I don't think the Jags chiefs game was any signal around the Jacksonville defense being good. And the Jaguars through two weeks have shown no evidence that they're a more mature team than they were last year. Still putting themselves in bad positions to not capitalize. When you think that they otherwise
1: should maybe again there there could be some sort of value there but these are not it's it's large enough that i'm not betting the jags but but the jaguars can very well put up 35 in which case the nines irrelevant like would that shock anyone of course not also everyone's hurt but not everyone has cluster injuries in the same way the texas do on the offensive line they can't run the ball not relying on cj Stroud in his third game and like yes the jaguars are beatable but i trust trevor lawrence As I trust the coaching staff, and as much as we get the fuckery, we always have of just those like painful, painful plays. That's built in. They're too good fundamentally. It's Part of the risk premium of of
0: betting on the Jags. Yeah,
1: yeah. And like what comes with that is generally actually going for the fourth downs as opposed to punting. And like yeah, they might pitch it to you know their backup running back on some bonehead play call, but like at least they actually got the basic thing right, which is actually putting themselves in a situation to succeed. Uh, And over time. I'm willing to still lean into the Jags. That's the thing. We should have learned this last year, which is we we leaned into the Jags, we leaned into the Jags, we leaned into the Jags. It hurt us, it hurt us, it hurt us. And in the end, the Jags were certainly my most profitable team that I bet on.
0: For sure. I'm not abandoning Uh, our our long Jags thesis. I'm just saying it would have been nice to see definitive growth spurt from them this year. Um, it's early.
1: It's early. No, no, yeah, still still early.
0: All right. That wraps up our first episode. Again, had a little bit of a clunky start to the year. Even this episode, again, still a little bit clunky, still getting the rhythm back, getting the show flow together. But we'll be back in rhythm starting next week. We'll see you then. And that's Closing down.